Now, depending on your point of view, Gilbert Gottfried is either the voice of the parrot Iago in Disney's Aladdin, maybe you know him as the squawk behind the Affleck duck, if Giggy hasn't had for a little while, and we'll get to that in a little bit in the interview. Maybe you know him as the host of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. If you look him up on Wikipedia, you'll see that his work is classified as satire, crude humor, blue comedy, improvisational comedy, black comedy, and insult comedy. He is one of the most famous stand-ups going. He's consistently hilarious, if a little rude, as the Wikipedia page might suggest. You'll find him in this interview to be politically incorrect, to say whatever is on his mind, and he really, I don't think, has any fear of the consequences. We kick things off by talking about a documentary called Gilbert, directed by Neil Berkeley, that kind of shows him in a different light. Thinking about me in a whole new way is like, oh, you mean funny? <laughs> <laughs> now, it took about a year from the time that you were first pitched on this idea that they yeah, were going to do a documentary. Maybe two years, and yeah. And what either changed your mind? What were you thinking about in those two years that, that finally made you say yes to this? Uh, nothing. I, I, it, it's one of these things. He wanted a, he, he said to me, he goes, I, I always uh, had this dream of doing a Gilbert Gottfried documentary. And I said, well, you should really set your dreams a lot higher than that. Uh, you know, start off with a Yakov Smirnov documentary, like called, called uh, Why They Country. <laughs> In America, you drink coffee. In Russia, Coffee drinks you. <laughs> what a country. <laughs> uh, what's ever happened to Yakov Smirnov? Yeah, uh, oh, I think he's gone the way of uh, Branson. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So he just sells out. He's sitting back yeah. on a big stack of money in yeah, Branson yeah. somewhere. Bought, bought his own theater, I think. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, so he was... Going after me, and I didn't. I never wanted to do the documentary, and he just kept nagging me. And and I'm too much of a wimp to go get away from me. Did it feel too much like reality television? Is that what you were thinking? Oh, it definitely felt that way. Uh, definitely intrusive and, and invasive. And I I say in the film, you know, that fear I have is like that scene from Wizard of Oz. Where it's like, yeah, 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 exactly. Don't look behind the curtain. And, and, and when you do, though, I mean, it, it's a really lovely portrait of this life. I think that, I mean, I think you're as surprised by your life as viewers may oh, be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me a, a couple of things. First of all, to be followed around for six months by Neil Berkeley, the director, uh, were there any limits that you imposed on him? And if so, did he bother to follow them? Because you're in a bathrobe for a good chunk oh, of this yeah. movie. So I'm assuming that he was just sort of in your house a yeah. lot. Yeah, a bathrobe <laughs> that I got for free, of course. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, no, he was he was following me for a while. And I think it's two years he was followed. Yeah. And he followed me to clubs. What was interesting to the audience, I think, you know, they see me in the backstage area of these nightclubs, 
And I think a lot of people assume, you know, you go to these nightclubs and backstage it's like Frank Sinatra's <laughs> dressing room. You know, you got a showgirl sitting on your lap and you're having a martini. There's red velvet, maybe. Oh, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> and a cigarette holder. Uh, but, yeah, it's just like the the work quality of it. You know? Yeah, and, I mean, it's day-to-day. I mean, you've been doing stand-up since you were 15 years old. Yes. And what pushed you towards that? I mean, we see this in the film, but tell people why you wanted – at 15, because I can't imagine – I'm a public person. I speak in front of people. I do that sort of thing. I can't imagine doing what you do, though, getting up on stage, and if it's not going well – my instinct would be to run. My instinct would be to get out of there oh, as fast yeah. as possible. At 15, I'm not sure that I would have had the nerve to do it. What got you up there at 15? See, I, I, I always say this. It wasn't so much nerve as stupidity. <laughs> it, it's like, first of all, having that idea that, oh, I could have a career in show business. That's crazy. Because <laughs> uh, it, it, it's like... People say, you know, if your kids want to go into show business, what are you going to do? And it's like, I I think, like, I could understand if they said, I want to reach into the trash can and take out soda cans <laughs> and turn them in for five cents each. Right. That at least makes some sense. Yeah. Show business doesn't. It, and it's like, but I was too stupid then to know the odds against making it. And um, and I was too stupid to, you know, know that if they're booing you and hissing, maybe it's time to get out. So I just kept doing it. And it's difficult for people that don't know. I don't think people realize that comics frequently aren't paid, that they're seeing. Oh, yeah. Uh, that they, there's a thing called bringer shows where you have to bring 10 people that oh, are all yeah. going to order two drinks and, you know, that sort of thing. And then maybe you'll get a spot at midnight at the end of the show. Kind yeah. Of there's all that sort of thing. Um, did you ever give out flyers on the street? Did you ever have to do uh, that sort of thing? No, that thing seemed like it came later on, right. the flyers on the street. I see that all the time in Times Square and the yeah. village and everything. Uh, but. Yeah, no, I just remember, like, you, uh, we used to, like, wait on line outside of the improv to be the first to, you know, get an audition spot. And uh, so we did that. And, uh, yeah, and then you'll, there'll be, like, years of just waiting around the clubs where you don't get on at all. You're just there and you come back home at four in the morning (laughs) or some crazy hour. And, uh, yeah, and no money. Did you feel you were learning stuff, standing at the back of the club watching everybody? Um, I guess so. I mean, I, I mean, you learn more, obviously, when you're actually on there. Yeah. Uh, I guess you learn what not to do by watching other oh, people. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I, I just remember that, like, all those, uh, and what what scares me uh, when I think about it, you know, I'm like one of those people who's always going, oh, my career's nowhere, it's a mess, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then I always think of all those years at the clubs where there would be, it seemed like billions of people that I saw every single night, right. also hanging out all night, also trying to get on, and and... I have no idea where they are. I don't remember their names. Do you think that you were just 
funnier than they were, or were you more patient, or what was it? God knows. Uh, it's, it's really, I, I, I guess you could always attribute uh, stuff to dumb luck. To, yeah. You know, you could never underestimate that. I, I guess so, but you, you have to put yourself out there, though, in order to get the dumb luck. It just oh, doesn't yes, arrive. Yes. It doesn't fall into your lap. Yeah. And so you're 15, 16, 17 years old. You're standing in lineups to do this. What was it when you realized, or when was it that you realized that it was working? Was there, you know, a stretch where audiences received you more warmly, where where you realized, wow, this is something. Like, I, I didn't waste my time standing in line. Well, I would, it, it was funny. Like, uh, I think Steve Martin said in some, in his book, like, uh, it's easy to be great. It's hard to be good. And, right. and, and it's like, it's a matter of just being consistent is the first thing you have to accomplish right. because you could have those nights you go on and they're laughing and applauding at, at everything you say, you know, you could wink your eye and they're <laughs> laughing and applauding. And then you, you think I am great. And then the next night you go on and uh, they're booing you with the same stuff. And so that's the first thing, to be consistent. And uh, I remember I would like, I mainly, when I started out, it was mainly impressions that I did. So I was, you know, no, not that much different in style and like, you know, Rich Little or Frank Gorshin or those people, you know, if... If it was uh, Peter Laurie as your waiter, it might go something like this. And, uh, and then, I don't know, I started getting tired of just doing impressions, and I started, you know, screwing around in between. And then I started screwing, and, and that's the way I found I was the most creative when I was on stage, just screwing off just anything that, popped into my head. And I guess, you know, that's the time to do it. Oh, yeah. That, you know, when you're on at midnight and, yes. you know, there's 25 people in the place rather than 500, that's the time to do that. And 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 it gets harder and harder to do it because when you go on and they recognize you mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you have to live up to their expectations. So is it one of those things where, you know, if you do something for 10,000 hours, you get the the famous sort of Malcolm Gladwell idea that you do something for 10,000 hours and then that's when you can be good at it? Oh, yeah. 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 You just have to put in the time. Yeah. It's it's like I, I don't believe, like I'll hear about these comedy classes. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't get that at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. You want a comedy class, get up on a stage or stand out on the street if you can't get up on a stage <laughs> and and start telling you learn more that way than in, you know, uh, 12 years of comedy classes. <laughs> I, I, I remember, um, I think it was uh, Larry's, I, on my podcast, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal we're, podcast. We're going to get there. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we we had on uh, Larry Storch from yeah. F Drew, and and he told us that uh, I think it was him. 
he said to he was friends with Buddy Hackett. And he said to Buddy Hackett, you know, I'm I'm thinking of taking acting classes. And he goes, Buddy Hackett goes, learning to act by taking an acting class is like learning to drive in your garage. <laughs> <laughs> It is a surprising portrait. Uh, I think that we see a side of you that we've not seen before. You're married. You've got two adorable kids. Uh, you live in a beautiful place in New York. None of that should be a surprise, but you oh, yeah. seem to think so. And I mean, maybe by extension, I do now as well. But, but it's a lovely portrait uh, of you. Were you afraid of kind of lifting that curtain a little bit and having people know too much about you so they look at you differently when you're on stage now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It always goes back to that scene in Wizard of Oz, yeah. you know. Because when they pull back the curtain, the almighty wizard's just this guy. And he's like, he's nervous around people. And uh, so, yeah, though that definitely scares me. It's kind of like they, you know, they always talk about in the old movies, you know, you knew nothing about these people. They, they, you know, it's like nowadays, uh, you know, you would you'd be able to tweet. Uh, you'd go on the internet and go, "Hey, Humphrey Bogart, Casablanca sucked," yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's like everyone has, you know, a connection. Yeah. Everyone has contact. Back then, these were like gods who lived in the heavens, and so you didn't know anything about them. And it's like. I don't know. Maybe it was better in a lot of ways. Well, do you think it's why we now seem to live in an era that there's no real movie stars? I mean, Tom Cruise is very famous. Will Smith, I don't know. There's a hand, you know, Ryan Gosling, all those people. But I don't think people line up to see movies by Tom Cruise. You don't go say, oh, I'm just going to go see whatever movie Tom Cruise is in. Like you might have years ago with Humphrey Bogart or Gary Cooper. or Gary Gary Grant. Yeah, one of those. Is that maybe it? That we that we're too we feel we know too much about them. Uh, it could be. I mean, it's so much has become we've we're yeah we're so familiar with everything. It, well, it's just like in the old days, there were like this handful of movie critics, and there were columnists, and there were writers, uh, and and different performers, filmmakers. And but now it nowadays everybody is anything they want. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's. A, but it, it's interesting though to to see you with the the curtain lifted yeah. a little bit here, uh, because you know one of the things that you learn from the film, as we talked about a little bit earlier, it's not all that glamorous being on the road. Do you? I, I know that you you don't always love the idea of performing. I think yeah. you love performing, but you don't always love the idea of performing. Oh, is yes. that is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, it, it's, um, well, I, I say in the documentary, and it's true, when I'm waiting backstage to go on, there's that fantasy I have that the manager comes back and says, we had a fire or a flood, and uh, uh, here's your check, go home. <laughs> and I think that, to me, I mean, I... I still remember like a handful of times 
where I thought it was two shows a night Mm -hmm. at a particular club. And then they said, oh, it's only one show tonight. And I I would, boy, it was like a (laughs) billion pound weight lifted (laughs) off me. But once you hit the stage, though, it seems like something takes over. And you kind of see it. I remember years ago watching uh, The Tonight Show. Robin Williams was on The Tonight Show. I don't know if you remember, but years ago, they used to show them backstage. And then they'd follow, the camera would follow them out. And, and Williams was just standing there, and he was very kind of like sort of almost uptight. And then they're like, and help me welcome Robin yeah. Williams. And then all of a sudden, he changed oh, as he hit the stage, yeah. right? And, uh, yeah, there's definitely and, – and also, when you're waiting to go on, it's, it's kind of like uh, like when you're about to go into either the ocean or a swimming pool. And you know you dip your toe in, and you go. It's that's freezing. I can't. I can't do that. It's freezing in there. And then, so finally, you just have to jump in, and then you're okay. Well, I think there's a really. I'm speaking with Gilbert Gottfried, by the way. The new documentary is called Gilbert. There's a there's a scene in the documentary that that uh, sort of really displays that very well. I think, and it's. At a at a, a charity function, and uh, a man has just made a speech about his daughter having cancer, and and it's a you know heartfelt sort of thing. And then you're the entertainment after this. Yeah. You are following uh, this thing. They're raising money for for children with cancer, and you get up. and I wasn't sure what was going to happen, and but you could see you kind of like rev up, and you gave your show. You did. Yeah. You didn't compromise. Yeah, and it was it was that was a. That must have been a tough one. I yeah, that was an extremely tough one because yeah, this this man got up on stage, did a speech about how his daughter wasn't feeling well. Then she was diagnosed with cancer. How he would drive her to the hospital and everything, and and it you know I remember being backstage and I, and thinking well I'm gonna go up. I'm going to do my midget goes to a hooker joke and <laughs> and and I am going to be driven out of town. I've been in enough trouble before. Yeah. Now forget it. The internet will explode. Sparks will be coming out of it. And I thought this will finish me for good. And then I went on and and they were laughing and uh, in the doc, it shows the man who had yes. just made this speech laughing, and he's sort of he's you can see the obvious joy on his face. Yeah, it, and that to me was like a, a magical thing to watch. Yeah, that I was doing that. Like he he's, has like this horrible thing that he's facing, and for those few moments that I'm on, he looked like there was a joy. There. And we've only got about a minute left. Is that why you do it, or no? I do it so they hand me a check at the end of the night. <laughs> I think that uh, a lot of people have heard about uh, the Affleck uh, debacle. Oh, I, I don't know. I thought it, kept, it was kept out of the news. <laughs> well, it, it, it's an interesting part of the documentary because it is a career high at some level, I think. And then it was taken away because of some tweets uh, that that you put out on the internet. So it raises a couple of questions. When is too soon to joke about something, if something can be uh, seen as too soon? Uh, But the part that really got me uh, 
was you are talking about a conversation with your agent. And after all this has happened and you've been fired from being the voice of the duck, he says, oh, I got you a gig and wherever it is. And you said, well, what kind of money are we talking about? And he says, I don't think you're in a position to be asking about money anymore. Yes. Tell me about that moment. Cause I almost got choked up saying it. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what that moment must've been like for you. Uh, yeah. I, I remember cause it was already all the moments, but all, all everything or every second of those days, yeah. I mean, you know, with the internet, it, you know, uh, the internet, I thought this is the entire world. Mm -hmm who feels this way. That's what the internet seemed to me like. Yeah. Like like, like they took a vote of every single human being in the world and they hated me. And yeah, he said that to me. And then, then of course, like uh, years later, when I still had a career and I still had fans, he said, oh, I always knew that <laughs> you get over. Uh, and, but yeah, that was a horrible moment. And I, and I remember for weeks, reporters and photographers would be waiting outside the apartment building. Some would sit in cars, some would hide in doorways like like they, they found some war criminal yeah, or head yeah. of the mob. And uh, yeah, the internet kept, you know, spewing hatred toward me. And it was kind of like, I, I think the internet makes me feel sentimental about old-time lynch mobs. <laughs> because at least with the old-time lynch mobs, they had to go out, get yeah. their hands dirty, and deal with other people. Right. Now you sit in your underwear on the couch and form your lynch mob. And, and I didn't realize how the internet worked that way. Mm -hmm. And it was like... Uh, and also... You know what you realize, just like that old saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, as long as they get your name right. Right. Because what was There's funny, no such thing as bad publicity as long as they spell your oh, name right. Yes, right, yeah. yes. And it was like, because what I realized, whether it was a thing on the internet or any of the TV shows or news shows or radio or newspapers, they would go, you know... Gilbert Gottfried's career is over. That's our top story. Gilbert Gottfried. And, and what, what you realize then is if your career truly is over, you're not the top story. <laughs> That's right. It, all, it means you have a career if they report. So it's that, all about perspective then. Yeah, for you. yeah, yeah. If they're reporting your career is over, your career is not over. When your career is truly over... <laughs> They don't say you could rescue 10 babies from a burning building and they they won't bother putting you in the back of the newspaper. And um, yeah, so that, so that that's you know, you never hear, hey, remember when the original Dukes of Hazard went on strike and they replaced them with the two guys who were supposed to be their cousins? And then the original ones went back. Well, those two guys who played the cousins, our top story tonight <laughs> is their career is over. <laughs> what was the reaction of fans? Because they never left you. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, this was a media created firestorm. Really. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and I always felt like, and 
and like I found out through the internet that I was fired, and and it's like Affleck soaked it for as much free press as they yeah. could get. Then they replaced me with a, a low-budget sound alike, at thus bringing closure to a horrible yeah. tragedy. And yeah, but I, and I think as far as fans go, there there is kind of that thing that like. Uh, in in a way, it kind of like is like slapping a new and improved sticker on on you know your right. dishwashing <laughs> liquid. They slap that on you. Oh, that's new and improved. And and I think people then they can claim they hate you and that they uh, they want you dead, but they still want to know what you have to say. Right. It's it's kind of like these people like. Uh, I don't know Bill O'Reilly or um, uh, what? What's her name? The blonde Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. You know they, they. I think they know exactly. I think Ann Coulter knows exactly what she's doing. Like when she comes out there, she'll go. I think we should drown puppies. <laughs> And I'll go, cheat. Ann Coulter said we should drown. Oh, this is horrible. I'm going to get her book and just find out what horrible things this this dirty bitch is saying. You know, and it's like, uh, and it, it fascinates, people want, it, it's kind of like, I remember when Michael Richards yeah. got in trouble on the club. And, uh, you know, he said the N-word, which also is something that makes me laugh when people use terms like the N-word and the F-word. It's like, well, when you say that thing, everyone's saying the word aloud in their head. And so what What are you really... And and But the owner of that club said... Uh, from now on, if any of the comics use that word, they'll be fined. And I'm thinking, so that you're telling the audience then, uh, we've, we're uh, clean and sanitized. Yeah, we're censoring. Yeah. yeah, we're censoring it. Everything will be clean. You won't be surprised. You won't be offended. Nothing. And, and to me, that would be like saying... Okay, when you go on this roller coaster, it moves very slowly. It's always level, never drops, never raises up, never does a loop the loop, you know. Would you tweet those same jokes that got you in trouble again today about uh, something yeah. else? Yeah. I I mean, I I I always say this like uh, you know, people say do you think twice now? And I always say I think twice but i do it anyway you know it's like <laughs> well it, that, that's interesting because uh one of the things and we'll get to this this will spill over into the next segment uh talking about the aristocrats joke yes which was a turning point and we see it in the film and we see the moment when it happens and i remember watching that for the first time years ago and and you could see the wheels turning in your head, and then all of a sudden, the filthiest joke that I had ever heard yes. to that moment uh, came <laughs> spilling out of your lips. And until that point, I don't think I had ever heard you swear on stage. Oh, yeah. Had I? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I... Maybe 
maybe, but certainly not on television. Maybe yeah. I hadn't yeah. seen this oh, yeah. on television. And and I was quite amazed by yeah. uh, by the, <laughs> the retelling of that joke. And in the documentary, Gilbert, we uh, we hear that this is, I think it's Lewis Black that says, the aristocrats, for people who don't know, is the filthiest joke ever told. Yeah. And it's the kind of joke that comics tell backstage. Rarely is it ever told on stage. It's the kind of thing, and you riff and you make it, yeah. bigger and dirtier yeah. and wilder. Uh, and you told it after telling some 9-11 jokes shortly after 9-11. Yeah. And it was a way, I guess, to like say, like, forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling another kind of thing yeah, over it, here. It was funny. because and, and they did like a whole film about the yeah. aristocrats joke. Uh, and now I think you, you can't get that, that film anymore, the aristocrats, because yeah. like the company... That produced it closed up. Which is too bad because it is truly funny. There's so much to talk about. We were just talking about the aristocrats and how you told that joke. And it kind of, it, it changed things a little yeah, bit afterwards. It, how did it change things? Well, it was it was just like a, <clears throat> a few days after September 11th. That, and, and it's like they were going to have the U Hefner roast. At first they thought they might cancel it altogether. And there were a lot of guests who were going to come to it that wouldn't fly, uh, you know, obviously. Right. And uh, <clears throat> then they decided to have it anyway. And, and like, the world was in shock when that happened, and particularly New York, mm -hmm. where the Hugh Hefneros was happening, because there was, like, black clouds floating overhead. And... Um, and so they were having it, and you could, and I and I thought, hey, I want to address the elephant in the room, and and I want to do something that will, you know, knock people off their seats, and you know, so I said, I have to leave early tonight. I have to catch a flight to California. I couldn't get a direct flight. We have to make a stop at the Empire State Building. <laughs> And the audience starts booing and hissing and gasping. One guy yelled out too soon, which I thought meant I didn't take a long enough pause between the setup and punchline. <laughs> That's and, how a comic thinks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and then I figured, ah, you know, I've gone to this level of hell. Why not go to the very bottom level? <laughs> you know, say hello to Hitler down there. And... Uh, and then I go into the aristocrats joke, which is incest and bestiality. Yeah, just... And the audience starts cracking up and they're howling. They're, and and uh, I, I remember there being reviews afterwards that some people were saying it was cathartic. Uh, and, and another person said, it's like I performed a mass tracheotomy <laughs> on the crowd. And and it just showed, like, here were these people with this weight hanging over them. And and now, all of a sudden, they're laughing, and, and they needed that release. Yeah. You know, in tragic times, when you're facing tragedy, 
uh, you, you need that kind of release. And that is the joke, I think, that got you uh, labeled by Entertainment Weekly. Out of the 101 comedians who appear on screen in The Aristocrats, no one is funnier or more disgusting than Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that to me is an that, honor. That's a legacy for your kids right there. No. <laughs> and, and in the movie, your son Max says, uh, I think he's asked, what does your dad do for a living? He's a comedian. What does he do? He makes people laugh. Is he funny? Nope. Yeah. He's, he's, yes. Yeah. And and one time, <laughs> which when, is adorable. Yeah. And and one time he when he was in preschool, uh, we we met with the teacher, and the teacher says, "Well, he doesn't pay attention in school." And he's always trying to be funny. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to beat him because I don't know where he gets this behavior from. And uh, then the teacher said, she asked him, she said, where did you learn how to be funny? And he said, from my daddy. And she goes, oh, your daddy's funny? And he goes... He's funny at home, not at work. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. That's really funny. Uh, do they have they? They've never seen you live, I would assume. Uh, they, like a handful of times, my wife would bring them to watch like the first. Who's, who's fi- sitting right next yes. to us here? Yeah, she'd bring them to watch the first five or six right. minutes, and you know when I do stuff. <laughs> Before it gets too perverted. <laughs> well, the podcast is called Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Uh, it's great. And I love that you give voice to a lot of people who people have forgotten about, maybe, or older actors and things. You bring on people who uh, will talk about almost anything because they yeah. their their edit button is now switched oh, off. Oh, yes. And it's like... I, in in a way, I kind of feel like the podcast is kind of like I remember they used to be shows like Fantasy Island yeah. and Love Boat and Murder, She Wrote. And you'd see these actors and actresses pop up who you swore were dead. <laughs> it's Olivia de Havilland yes, on Love Boat. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And. And and he'd be having a love affair with she'd be having a love affair with Fred Astaire right. or, or Lou Ayers <laughs> or Herd Hatfield. That's right. And yeah. and so you find these people. Yeah. And and it's like when you watch those shows you go, Oh, wait a minute, they're yeah. as good as they ever were. Yeah. And 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 if you forgot about them, you'd be reminded and People who never remember, knew them in the first place would go, hey, this guy's good. And so I kind of like to have it on record. Like, look at this mm-hmm. guy. You know, he's still around. So we've had people like, well, I mentioned Larry, Larry Storch and, uh, oh, God. I, well, singing oh, with Dick Van Dyke must have been a, a oh, career yes, highlight. I sang yeah. with Dick Van Dyke. Uh, <laughs> Uh, put on a happy face and super califragilistic, <laughs> and so yeah, sitting across from Dick Van Dyke and joking back and forth, and I forget the other guy from F Troop. There was the guy; he was the real clumsy guy. Yep. Uh, Tim or Jim or something. I'm just uh, looking it up now here as we speak. Ken Berry. That's it. Yeah, both of them from F Troop were on the show. Uh, four members of Batman 
uh, Adam West, Burt Ward, Julie Newmar, uh, and Lee Merriweather. <laughs> uh, Bruce Stern, who's got an amazing memory, yeah. Bruce Stern. And great stories. Oh, yeah. uh, incredible stories. And uh, it's funny because there's been this show like uh, Joan and Betty. Yeah, 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 few, and, yeah. And he was actually there. He he That's was right. in uh, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, and uh, oh God, we've had so many people. We had this actor Martin Kaplan. Uh, he's one of those guys. If you saw him, you'd know him immediately. Yeah. He's a comic actor, and he was discovered by Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> wow. and, yeah, so it's it's an amazing thing. Every it, now and then. We'll get someone below a hundred, yeah. And you know, we've had on Judd Apatow and Henry Winkler and people like that. Interesting to have an archive of all that stuff, though. An oh, archive yes. of these people speaking freely, I guess, because yeah. back in the day when they were making F Troop, they weren't talking to the press the same way they're talking yeah. to you and right now. The funny part about that is there are the people who go, "Hey, look, I'm like a hundred and ten." I'm not watching what I say anymore. Yeah. Then there are the other ones who are like 200 years old, and yet it's it, it's ingrained in them that they have to protect their image. Those are the the studio trained ones. I bet yes. the people that were on you know contract who never oh, became yes. really super famous, but were on contract to. MGM and Universal and places like that where you were you went to class and you learned oh, how to yeah. be you know how to have a career yeah. yeah and I mean and it's like well there's this we we had on uh, Marty Allen oh wow wow <laughs> Burns and Allen and I've spoken to him on the phone a couple of right. times off the air and he would always say hey hey want to hear a joke <laughs> and he would uh, tell me like these dirty jokes. And when I asked him, I said, could you tell me some of the jokes you tell me off the air? And he, he refused to do that. Really? And I mean, he's, he's God knows. He's got to be 100 years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're the, close the, to it. The Sphinx is younger than him. Right? It's like... <laughs> so the podcast is called Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. You can hear that uh, easily online. One of the things that I kept noticing in your apartment Oh yeah, is the big Frankenstein. Oh yes. Tell me about the big Frankenstein because you there's you relate to Frankenstein, and so yes. there's a few times that it comes up in the film. Yeah, I I mention in the film when I when my daughter was born, I felt like the Frankenstein monster in that scene where he comes upon the girl who's throwing daisies yeah. in the lake, and he's like, hur, 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 hur. and. And he doesn't know, and he eventually throws her into the lake. Not not in a bad way. He he thought she would float, and uh, but yeah. So so that's the way I I I felt, and I and then with my son, I was no more better trained. <laughs> there, I I, I remember uh, one time at, when my daughter was just a few days old. Uh, my wife calls me and says, uh, oh, where are you now? And I said, I oh, went to the store or the bank or whatever. And she goes, uh, and is Lily with you? And, and I said, oh, bleep. And I ran back home because I thought, oh, my God, I have a daughter now. <laughs> 
and 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 she's like a month old by herself in the apartment. <laughs> and, and I ran frantically back home because all of a sudden I go, oh, my God. I'm yes. a dad now. Yeah, 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 that's right. And I, and I didn't even throw her a piece of bologna before I left. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Frankenstein thing, the poster I had, mm -hmm. I've had that since I was a kid. Wow. Yeah, I bought it in the back of a monster magazine. Yeah, yeah. And kept it all these years, and and then my wife Dara had it framed, and because I would put it in the back of a closet, <laughs> in the back of a, and and what what other what one guy noticed, and I don't, I don't think that many people notice it. When you come into the apartment, I have four life masks. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, yeah, I saw those. Yeah, it's Vincent Price, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr. And Al Pacino. Really? And yeah. life masks are like wax masks made yeah. from the actual person's face. Yeah. Yeah. They do. And, and uh, I think they do it. So, like, if they have to do an extensive makeup job, yeah. they they could fit it to your face. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, I, I also, I don't think they showed that there. I also one time wrote a Get well card. I sent a get well card to Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> and 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 I got back and I I have it there in a little frame on the wall, uh, a postcard size picture of the Wolfman, and it's signed Lon Chaney on the bottom. That's amazing. Yeah. I have a letter from James Stewart. Wow. I, I I heard that if you wrote James Stewart a letter, that he would write you back, and the and it was. Uh, and I mean, it's long gone now, the the address, but it was literally uh, James Stewart, P.O. Box 99, Beverly Hills, California, whatever the postal code was. And I wrote him a letter and I got back a personalized letter from him uh, autographed. And that is framed and hanging in my house right wow. now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, had I known that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's like I also, <laughs> I, I lucked out with get well cards. <laughs> I sent a get well card. Which well, shows you're caring. Yes. Yeah, yeah. To Jimmy Durante. Wow. And and he uh, and he sent back a card saying something like, you know, uh, your card meant so much to me. And I have that. And I also have, well, this one person I sort of, I mean, I didn't, can't say I was friends with, but uh, I, I listened to a lot. And every, one time I had a job in the Broadway theaters, a friend of mine, had it in the concessions right. where you sell like you know drinks and t-shirts and around that time there were great plays on broadway there was uh american buffalo with robert duval and kenneth mcmillan wow. and john savage there was equus with richard burton and then another version with um uh uh Anthony Perkins. Wow, wow. And and also, oh, and also uh, there was uh, Matter of Gravity. And Matter of Gravity starred Catherine Hepburn. And Catherine Hepburn would come out before the audience got in and walk around the theater and open the doors because she liked air to be in there. And so after a while, she trained us that we had to open the, all the doors before she got there. 
And she would talk to us, and and she would tell us stories about, you know, Jimmy and <laughs> and and uh, Spencer and yeah. Bogey <laughs> and Spence, and you know she'd be talking about Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Cagney, uh, Bogey, and <laughs> and uh, so after she had left, after the play closed, I sent her a card, and she sent me back a really nice card, and then she sent me. She had made copies of. She used to do drawings, and she had a drawing of herself. So, uh, yeah, so... Uh, you Kat- could open a museum. I should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, where was the Amazing Colossal Podcast when Catherine Hepburn was oh telling you these stories? Oh, my God, yeah. There are so many of those people yeah. that I wish were alive now that I... You know, like, I once met... Uh, I, twi- I actually twice met uh, Norman Fell. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And... The funny thing, I used to do jokes about Norman Fell just because he was just this funny character. And, and funny it's a funny name. name. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, but I always enjoyed him. And, yeah. and he could do both drama and comedy equally well. And, and, and he hung out with the Rat Pack. And he was <laughs> uh, an interesting character. And I, I remember when I met him, we were talking, and I said, oh, you know, I, I do a joke about you in my act. And he said, yeah, I, I've heard jokes about me. And it's, he goes, and it's usually, and he does a hand move, like stabbing right. someone. And I remember, even though mine wasn't anti him by any stretch, I stopped doing the joke because I felt so horrible. And because I thought he is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's your first lesson in in public life, I guess, oh, and, yeah. and, and 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 the effect that you know jokes and tweets and everything yeah. can have on a public person. Oh, because yeah. I think people sometimes forget. Certainly, perhaps in the case when they're tweeting at you or whatever, that there's a real person on the other oh, end yes. of it. You yeah, know. it it's like uh, see, and that's the thing. It's like well, like I say, you would never, you weren't tweeting Clark Gable. Yeah. Yeah. And but now it's like yeah, there is a person there, a real person. Yeah, and 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 it's uh, and and also what got me about that whole uh, Aflac tsunami thing was, it when people say too soon, I'm thinking so if you're a bad person like me, you make a joke when the thing happens and it's fresh in people's minds. But when I say the joke, it is fresh in people's minds, and people react in shock and horror because they're going, oh, my God, this is so terrible. This is so awful. This is such a tragic situation. If you wait, if you're a good person and you wait and you do a joke about, say, the Titanic, uh, you're then as a good person, you're saying, Hey, those people died years ago. The hell with all of them. (laughs) Gilbert Gottfried is not only one of the great comedians out there, he's provocative, he's always funny, he's got one of the greatest laughs I've ever heard. Could have listened to that all day long. Maybe I'll make a loop for next week and we can just listen to Gilbert Gottfried laughing for an hour and a half. 
And as much fun as that's been, that's it. That's all there is for this week. 